pick up our, our walk through Colossians on, on uh, Colossians 1, really around verse 12, 13, and 14 today. Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we're going we're gonna to read our scripture and kind of share a couple of things with you today. Father, thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for, God, the greatness of your gospel, not, not the greatness of us, not the greatness of anything that we do. But Father, uh, even in all of our imperfect efforts at giving you praise and giving you honor and glory, yet you're pleased and you receive those, those sacrifices and you receive those things that we offer to you. And so Father, I thank you. <laughs> Father, most importantly, I thank you that it is you who has all power, God, who has uh, all knowledge and and the great and unexplainable love that you have for us as well. And so, Father, I pray that today that your word would come alive in our hearts, that it would be powerful in us, and that, God, it would be powerful through us. And so, Father, I pray that you continue to change our hearts in that direction, but I also pray that you will continue to send people, God, to come across our path and to join in the mission that you have directed us toward here. God, in making disciples. And so, Father, we give you all the praise and all the glory for you alone are worthy. The church together said, Amen. If you got your Bible um, or your phone or your tablet or whatever it is that you have, um, you can pop open into, into Colossians chapter 1. So if you've got there, got, get to Colossians chapter 1. Here's what it says. We're going to start with verse 11. We actually picked this one up last week, but just to give us context. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience, with joy giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins in him. So I want, to give you, I want to give you three key focal points out of this today. Number one is why we have joy. Because if you notice, he, he said, we ended last week where he, he talked about may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience. <clears throat> we talked a little bit about the with joy. But I want to talk about why it is that we have joy. And secondly, where it is that we have joy. And the third and final thing is, in whom do we have joy? So why we have joy, where we have joy, and in whom we have joy. Why do we have joy? You know, many people uh, want to be joyful, and this is probably a natural thing, but we want to be joyful when we, have, when we receive a blessing. You know, it, it may be that you get a job promotion, it may be that you get a new car, you get a new home, you get a raise, you know, some other material thing, and then... Uh, we're excited. We blow up social media. You know, everybody on Facebook hears about our blessing. You know, we, we take a picture of it. We, we, we post about it. We're, we're sending everybody going, man, I, you know, everybody needs to celebrate with me this morning because God did this for me. And that, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but that's sometimes how we identify joy. Uh, many people want to give thanks to God because there he said, with joy giving thanks. Many people want to give thanks to God, but 
the only time that they want to give thanks to God is when the circumstances seem to be of a joyful nature. Let me give you that again. The only time that many people want to be thankful to God is when the circumstances seem to be joyful. You see, if anyone has ever, if you haven't read this story, you should. You should look it up. Now that, now that we've got all these smartphones and everything else, we can say you should Google it. All right? You need to Google a lady named Corey Tenboom. You know, Corey Tenboom. Her name's C O R R I E, Tenboom, who was captured and put into uh, some of the concentration camps and things like that, along with, I believe, with her sister and some others. Her family was hiding. Uh, Jews who were uh, being rounded up and killed, systematically killed in the, in the Holocaust, and then they got caught up in that and got sent in. And she tells a story, she's a much, obviously a much, much older lady, but I can't quite remember whether she's passed yet or not. But she tells a story of how that when they were, these ladies, that, that she was a, a part of this group, and they were all put into these barracks in this concentration camp. And, and horrible conditions, if you know anything about the Holocaust, obviously the end result that they intended to do was to kill uh, the Jewish people. And, and there was a focus on even taking and experimenting on them, doing medical tests, horrible, horrible things. Uh, starved and malnourished, buried in mass graves. Just, just some really terrible history there. But she said, we were, we were put into this, the, these barracks and we quickly realized that there were fleas that had infested the barracks. And she said, so, so we've got fleas that are getting on us. There are fleas in the bedding. There are fleas in the barracks. And, and she said, but, but we realized after the first couple of nights or so that the guards would come into various barracks and they would, just to keep it at a high level, they would abuse the ladies that were in these barracks. And she said, but we realized something. They would never come into our barracks. And she said, we, we finally figured out that the reason was they didn't want to be around the fleas. And so they avoided coming into where we were and, and they were praying and they were seeking God and, and just you know, asking God to please protect us. And, and, she said, and so we began to realize that we could give thanks for the fleas because the fleas were protecting us even though they created a temporary a frustration and irritation and agitation, but it was far better than what could have happened if they weren't there and the guards then begin to come into, into their barracks and abuse them. So we often only want to give thanks for things when it, the situation seems joyful. In our life, we don't usually want to give thanks for the fleas. But maybe it's because sometimes we don't, we don't stop and recognize that the fleas are preventing something that is far worse. And so a temporary condition creates an opportunity that protects us from permanent damage. But if, if we're only going to give thanks and be joyful when, when God allows us to experience good things, and like 
there's a song. I, I want to share this song with you. If you guys have, uh, for those of you that have been in church for maybe a lot of years, particularly if you've ever been in a church that was a Southern Gospel church, there's a song. And, and when I was a kid and then when I was a teenager, you know, I, I, I sang this stuff with, you know, with groups and with people and all this. And, and we'd sing this song, there's a roof up above me, I've good things to eat. There's food on the table and shoes on my feet. You gave me your love, Lord, and a fine family. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings on me. Okay, sounds like a great song, right? It's like a great song, except for what if you don't have any family? Except for what if you don't have a roof over your head? Except for what if you don't have food on your table? Except for if you're in Africa and they're taking water bottles and trying to create shoes because there's no shoes on your feet. You know, thank you, Lord, for your blessings on me. Wow, so we just equated blessings to being that you got a roof over your head. Not saying that's not a blessing. But I realize sometimes now looking back that even, even our idea of what we've promoted to people about here's how to know that God is blessing you is if you've got a roof over your head, if you've got shoes on your feet, if you've got food on the table, if you've got all of these things and, and you've got a great family and you've got all this stuff, well then God is blessing you. But what if those things aren't there? Is God not blessing you? Is, are, are you not favored by God? Are you somehow a second-class Christian? And, and so you don't really have anything to be joyful for because you don't have those blessings. Well, that's, we don't ever find that as being the standard in God's Word on why you have joy. Because that joy is never, in God's Word, contained and centered around things. Because quite honestly, in America, we just assume... I mean. You know, how many people realize or are aware of the things that go on even in our own city? I, I got to work, um, I got to work uh, Friday. And does anybody know that there were two men that were shot and killed in Anniston on Thursday? Anybody? 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 Got a couple? Got a couple? A couple that know that. One of them's the stepson of one of my employees. So I get to work Friday morning. I had seen the information on Thursday. I had seen that the information that was that was out on on the news, and all it all it said in the paper was there was a 25-year-old young man who was found in a car. But then 12 hours later, there was a 32-year-old man who was found in the woods about 350 yards away, on, and it, it up around 29th Street. That's around Norwood, by the way. I, my brain, when I saw the picture, I thought it looked like South Highland, but it's not. It was up around Norwood. I get to work Friday, and I walk in, and one of my associates comes in, and she says, Mr. Payne, because there's like three Nathans, so I ended up as Mr. Payne, not by choice, but she said, Mr. Payne, I need to talk to you. That's okay. She said, have you heard about Stacy's um, stepson? And I said, no, no, I mean, what's... And she said, Stacy's stepson was, was, was uh, killed yesterday and, and so shared the information with me. Uh, this is a young man. I say young man because, you know, now I'm in my 40s. I find anybody that's, you know, in their 50s, you're still a young man. Can I get an amen? Uh, <laughs> and, but but Stacy is a fantastic guy. He's very 
very quiet guy, really hard worker, highly skilled. Um, he grades all of our lumber for the facility, which is a very demanding, high-speed, very skilled position. Super nice guy. He's the one that you guys prayed for. I, I had you guys praying probably about three, four months ago or so for a couple of months for the Clay family. And that, that's him um, because his wife had been misdiagnosed here at RMC. Uh, she actually had some type of virus in her brain. They misdiagnosed it as something else. And, um, and so she ended up after an extended period of time and going into a coma and some other things, she ended up passing. And, and, um, and so that's only been a few months. And then this was her son, but he has raised this young man because they got, they got married quite a while back. And so I get that. And then a little bit later, I have an associate comes in and says, Mr. Payne, I need to talk to you about something. And I said, okay. And they said, look, uh, you remember about three weeks ago, I asked you, uh, I told you that, I, that we, we might have to go to Florida unexpectedly. And I said, yeah, but you know, you guys didn't end up going. And the person said, yes, but let me tell you what's happened. Um, his sister and her three children were coming here. Uh, they've been here multiple times before to visit and all this. They were on their way here um, and had a, had a clear visa, no, no, no issue on that. Got to Naples, Florida, were, uh, were seized by immigration. There's no criminal background. There's no criminal history, none of this. It's a lady and three children, the oldest of which is 15. The children were sent to social services. They wouldn't explain why they... Had, um, had seized the mom three days in the airport, no access to a shower, you know, none of this. Um, the, the finally got the, the children, had to get some papers signed uh, to get the children so that, that they could come here. That was all before noon. You're not always going to have a life in the moment that has things that we would perceive as blessings for us to have joy. Sometimes life, in just in the natural living of it, is going to result in things that don't lead us to have joy. So if, if joy is found in our possessions, if joy is found purely in our situation, then we're going to have a tough time of it, y'all. In fact, considering that the majority of the world does not experience the level of, uh, of, of affluency, they don't have the, the, the wealth that we have in America, where that, that oftentimes what we would consider you know, almost poor, it's unbelievable how much more that we have at that level than people in other countries do at some of their highest levels. It's just unbelievable. So that would rule out the majority of the world itself then from being able to have joy. But here, Paul describes why. Why we can have joy, and even further, why we can have a joyful time of thanksgiving. And his reason is this. He says, God the Father has enabled us to receive our part in the inheritance of the saints. Catch that he said, with joy giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. Luke chapter 10 verses 20 gives another scriptural explanation of this. 
Jesus is talking to the disciples. The disciples have come back because they he had sent them out. They're dealing with various different things. They're praying for people. They're believing for things with people. And one of the things that happened was they came back and they said, oh, there are people that had demonic possession and, and we were able to, through, through you, to exert power over them and to set people free. In Luke 10 and 20, Jesus speaks to them and says this, However, don't rejoice that the Spirit submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He says, don't rejoice in the power because I, I'm, I'm going to give you the power, but I'm not going to give you power in, in me unless you have had your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, unless you have accepted my salvation. So don't rejoice in what you received because of salvation. Rejoice because of salvation. Because what if you don't receive certain things? You still have salvation. You still have this great gift that's given by God. What if, what if in your life you, you, you contract a disease? You, you end up with, with, you lose your job, but somebody else didn't. Well, does that mean that, that you at the core, you can't have any kind of joy? Now, hey, I can tell you, if I lose my job and I start losing you know, stuff that I've, I've you know, bought and all that, yeah, I'm going to be affected. But in the core, there is a joy that has to be there because when all else fades away, if I have Jesus, because it's eternal where this stuff, man, if you don't maintain your house, it's going to fall apart. Your car eventually is going to have problems and everything else, but Jesus never fails. God's joy transcends. It rises above the earthly circumstances. Why? Because it finds its roots in something eternal. It finds its roots in the fact that our eternal destination has been changed and that we've been given an inheritance with the saints. It's the reality of an eternity spent in a right relationship with God in the blessing of His presence within His eternal kingdom. In fact, we not only receive the future expectation of this inheritance in heaven but the Bible tells us that we receive... Anybody ever heard of something called earnest money? What's earnest money? Something you pay down. Yeah, it's like a down payment. It's a guarantee. So you show that you are, you are in earnest. You are sincere about this. 2 Corinthians 1 and 22 actually tells us, it describes and says that we've received the earnest or the down payment of the Holy Spirit in our lives now. And what does the Holy Spirit do? The Bible says that when the Holy Spirit comes, that you will, He will lead and guide you into all truth. And what is the truth? Part of the truth is that our joy is found in Jesus Christ and not in the things that we have or don't have. And you say, well, that's easy for you to say if you have things. You're right, except for I'm not the one saying it. I'm the one that's repeating it. But I'm not the one that says it. It's, it's the God of the universe who sent His Son to die on a cross who knew no sin but became sin so that we might become His righteousness. So He is not one who is coming and saying, Oh, I'm the God of the universe. 
I've got everything. I have all power. I got the cattle of a thousand hills and all the taters under them, you know, and all that stuff that uh, you people you say. No, none of that. He is saying, look, I understand because I didn't have to do what I did, but my son came and he bore all of your sins and he died on the cross. He gave up all of the riches of glory. He gave up his position. The Bible says that, that he didn't think it was robbery to be equal with God. But instead, he still humbled himself and he put on flesh. So he says, look, yes, he knew what it was. He knew what it was to be rejected by his own people because the Bible says that he came to his own and his own received him not. The Bible says that he was the cornerstone who was rejected by the builders. He's not one sitting here going, I don't know what it is to not have or to experience loss or to give things up and still be able, because the Bible even goes so far as to say that he endured the, 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 he endured death, even death on a cross. Why? For the joy that was set before him. Man, he could endure death. God. In the form of Jesus Christ, part of the Godhead, part of the Trinity, could come and could give his life on a cross for the simple reason of John 3.16 that God so loved the world. And, he's, and then when he, after he pays that price and he brings you into his, his family, he says, now I'm going to go away because it's important that I go away because if I don't leave, I can't send you the other comforter, the Holy Spirit. And why is that important? Because the Holy Spirit then became the down payment, the earnest of the Holy Spirit that we see there. And that, passage, that, that then says, I'm serious about you coming to live with me. There's a lot of people that will tell you, hey, you know what, if you ever go to do this, I'm going to help you out. If somebody says, here's $100 so that when you go do this, and I'll help you out even more, I says, I'm serious. He didn't just say, hey, one day you're going to come, you're going to come live with me. He said, I'm going to show you that I'm serious. Where we have joy. You know, it, we can know why we have joy. We have joy because of the fact that, that, that God, through Jesus Christ, has brought us into the family so that we can inherit. But we also have to consider where it is that we have joy. And Paul shows this because he said that we were once in the domain of darkness, but we've now been transferred into the kingdom of the Son. 1 Peter 2 and 9 actually gives an illustration of this as well. We always like the first part of this. But he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are literally not left in the dark. You ever heard somebody say, you know, so, hey, do you know about that? And say, no, they just left me in the dark on it. What, what are they saying? What are they trying to tell you? It's feedback time. Well, if you say, no, they left me in the dark, what are you, what are you trying to say? Didn't tell me anything. I couldn't see anything. I didn't have any idea of something. I was totally in the dark. Have you ever been in near total darkness? When, when was it? When have you ever been in like, I mean, I'm talking real physical stuff here, guys. I'm not, talking, I'm not trying to be spiritual on this for a moment. Been in a cave. You know, if you've ever been out. Well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 
I mean, if you've ever been even like out camping where you're away from a campground and you're away from the city, I'm just going to tell you what. If you're not prepared for that, that'll freak you out. You'll start hearing all kinds of stuff. Squirrels and stuff be messing with you. I mean, because you're out there and all of a sudden, if the moon's not out or anything like that, you're, we're so accustomed to the lights of the city and street lights on the roads and all that stuff, and you get out there and there's no street lights, there's none of that stuff, you don't have a fire burning, you step out of the tent in the middle of the night and you can't see your hand in front of your face, literally. That's another saying, but it's literal. You step out and you can hold your hand up and go, Dear Lord, I'm missing a hand. <laughs> I mean, I can't see it. Man, when you're in total darkness, it'll almost panic you for a moment. When you first realize, I can't see anything. I've only been to Disney World one time. I was a kid. Uh, the church that, 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 uh, that my dad, Pastor, we'd gone to, the general assembly that happened every two years, and it was in Orlando, I was, I don't know, I was probably 10 or 11 years old. Um, back then, I was still mean, a little mean-spirited. Um, <laughs> I, I, I still like to play jokes on people back then. <clears throat> back then. Back then. Um, and so, but my mom is afraid of heights. And my mom is afraid of, of water. Now, I don't mean like water in a glass, but... But she's not about swimming. She, she had an uncle that had a tragic experience. And so for whatever reason, and it involved heights and water. So she's afraid of heights and water. And we were on this ride at Disney World. And I don't even remember what the ride was. Some of y'all that go, you probably know, but it was, it may be long gone by now, but you kind of sat in this egg-shaped thing. And, and, and it wasn't like a coaster or nothing like that. But you, you're going through, it may have been in Epcot somewhere, you're going through these rooms and they black everything out and it's like, and all of a sudden it's like you're in space, okay? And you're just sitting in this little egg type thing, me, my mom, and my dad, and I start, what an idiot. I mean, they were going to discipline me. I start going, oh dear Lord, we're going to fall out. We're going to fall out. We're going to fall out. And my mom got scared and I'm going, we're in the middle space and we're going to fall out. You know, oh my God. We're, we're th- and, and my mom started crying. I'm just confessing, y'all. My mom started crying. And my dad was like, I am going to tear you up when we get, shut your mouth. You know, and, and I think I got a whipping at Disney World. That's all I want to say. But, but I mean, I was, I was just, because that darkness created a false perception. The floor was literally like less than a foot below our feet. Because, I mean, you weren't up high, you were just riding through these rooms. But because of the way that the darkness impacted, it made you feel like we are in the middle of space. And since my mom was already afraid of heights, and I don't know why I thought it would be funny. It was not funny. It's not even funny, you know, (laughs) When I tell them, it's funny when I tell it away from them. But if I tell it around them, I, hey, I don't, I don't, that's why I don't tell it around them. Darkness creates a lack of ability to perceive reality. And Paul said, we once used to be in this domain of darkness, but God called us out of that. And I thought about 
this week, I thought about what happens when somebody stays in the dark. Number one, you tend to run into obstacles at first, right? You know, if you go to visit somebody's house and you're spending, you know, the night with them and, and man, all the lights are off and you decide, hey, I'm going to get up and go to the kitchen. Dude, that's some of the worst pain. The only, the only worst pain is running into a hitch sticking off the back of a truck when you come around and, and it catches you in the shin. That's the only worst pain. Because you'll be walking through the house and you, you know, and, and you don't think that you're kicking your feet that hard and all of a sudden you hit a table or something like that. And I tell you what, if you ain't sanctified, there'll be some stuff come out to you that's not right. I, I'm telling you, you know. Man, I have kicked some stuff in the middle of the night, and I, man, I am, oh, dear Jesus, in the name, bless you, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. You know, and you're trying to shake it off. You'll tend to run into obstacles, and you might get injured. The second one thing is you may be tentative because you can't operate with confidence. But, I mean, how many of you have ever done this deal, walking through in the dark? It, if they, if, if... If people could video you, you know, with some of those infrared type stuff or whatever, you know, I mean, you look like you're doing a bad yoga class. I mean, you're, you're squatting and, and you, mm, you know, and you can't even tell how close you are. You know, you just, you kind of, I know there's something. I mean, it's just, it's just bad. So you, you get tentative because you can't operate with confidence. But here's the thing. Eventually, you adjust to the darkness. And you get to where that you're okay being in the dark because you adjust and I can see just enough that I'm all right with this. And you might not even turn a light on. You'll stay in the dark because you think you can see just enough to get around. That's where so many people are. They've gotten so adjusted to the darkness of the domain that they're in apart from Christ, that they think they're okay. I can see just enough that I, can, I, don't need to, I don't need a light to shine. Because in fact, if somebody starts to shine a light, I talked about this Wednesday night, and in fact, I made Michelle come over uh, and, and watch, uh, I think it was sometime Friday. I said, watch this. Molly's on the back porch, you know, our basset hound. Or if you saw the picture that Michelle had her in the laundry basket, you know, riding to pick Caleb up, I said, she's our basket hound. But anyway, we're, uh, she's on the back porch, and, and it's dark. And I said, watch. And I cut the light on, and she goes, I said, watch. And I turned the light off. I turned the light on. And I said, watch. And I turned the light off, and, I, and she... Because it was sticking in my mind. See, when light first starts to shine into your darkness, it hurts. And it exposes. We've been called out of the darkness and into the light. I really see this as being both a general spiritual darkness, which is overcome by salvation. So it's a, it's a broad thing. But there's also specific darkness which persists in areas of people's lives. Because here's a reality. Just because you get saved doesn't mean that you actually have allowed God's light to shine in all the areas of your life yet. There are people who have come to know Christ, but their finances don't belong to God. Their marriage doesn't belong to God. Their children don't really belong to God. Their job doesn't really belong to God. 
because they've accepted that general shining of God's light into their life, but they go, but all this other stuff, I want to keep it the way it is. I like kind of just being able to feel my way through this because if you turn the light on, a room that looked like it was pretty decent and clean and all that stuff, and you turn the light on and all of a sudden you see that that little hump that was over there, that's clothes laying in the middle of the floor and there's dust piled up over there and there's a half-eaten sandwich laying on the table. You didn't see any of that stuff in the dark. And so our finances and these other things in our life, they tend to sometimes not be submitted to God. So we've accepted salvation, but we are resistant to God's light shining into specific areas of our life. And I want to tell you this. Here's a true statement. This is why that people can be saved, but be sad. I don't mean sad like, you know, like you ha- you've had something negative happen. I'm talking about just they're sorrowful in areas of life. They're sorrowful about their finances. They're sorrowful about their marriage. They're sorrowful about, because so many of those things have not been submitted to God even though they have salvation. And so you see people within the church world that you go, man, I would not want my life to be like them for anything. <laughs> I mean, it's the truth. There's people that that know Christ. Absolutely, without a doubt, they have accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior in their life. But yet when you look at their life, you go, I would not want my life to be like their life. Now, I'm not talking about things that have happened to them or whatever. Just the way they are in their life. They look like they've been drinking pickle juice all the stinking time. There's no joy. There's, there's, no, there's no thankfulness, no gratefulness, none of those things. So people look and go, man, if that's what it means to serve God, I don't want to serve God. Because we haven't allowed that light to shine into that area of our life. And yes, it will expose things that need to be changed, but it will also free us. Yeah, maybe today's the day that you've got to think about submitting your finances or your marriage, or your children, or your job, or whatever it is to God, so that those things can come out of the dark into the light. Finally, in whom do we have joy? At the very end of this passage that we read, the very end of it, he said, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, in him. Our joy is found in the one who provided those two things, redemption and forgiveness. And and I want to share something with you in closing. I want to share this with you. There is a difference between redemption and forgiveness. There's a reason that Paul stated these things. We just blow right past this stuff sometimes. We, oh yeah, we got redemption and forgiveness of sins in Christ. So what is redemption? Redemption, in, in this sense, is paying a ransom so that a prisoner can go free. When uh, used to, this doesn't happen as much anymore. But you know, when I was younger, there would be things you could save up. You know, little coupons, or you might could save up. There were stamps, green stamps, and all this stuff you could save up, and then you could go redeem those for something. You know, if you look even at a coupon today, it will say, you know, redeemable for some amount or whatever. In other words, I can trade this in to get something. And so what we see is that Paul says that in Jesus we have redemption. In other words, Jesus traded something in to get something else. So what did he trade in? He traded in himself. He gave his life on the cross so that we could be redeemed, so that we who were held captive 
could be released and set free. So he went in and said, all right, you're, you're, in, you're in captivity. Because remember, that's what the Bible tells, tells about in Luke chapter 4, where he's actually quoting Isaiah. It's one of my favorite verses. It's one of the verses that God used when he called me to preach. He tells about, he says that he's going to proclaim liberty to those that are captive. He's going to set them free. So he redeemed because he went and he said, I will take your place. I will pay the price. You deserve death, but I will die so that you can have redemption, which is I trade in, you get out. But here's the thing. Oh, and this, man, this is good. If he just did that, then in essence, what he could say then is now you owe me. You were in captivity to sin and you owed a debt to sin. Well, now you owe a debt to me because I paid your debt. Because now that's a lot of times what will happen. There are, you know, if you, ever, if you have ever had a problem with a credit card or something like that, then you go from dealing with a credit card company to dealing with a recovery company. Because you know what they do? They go in, they pay a certain amount to the credit card company and buy your bad debt. And now you went from owing the credit card company to you owe these people that bought your debt. You don't owe the credit card folks anymore. You're good with them, but you owe somebody else. And so now they hound you, right? So Jesus went and paid the debt for us, so he redeemed us. He traded his life in. If that was all that happened, then we would no longer have a debt to sin, but now we would have a debt to Jesus, and so us following him would not be because that we had chosen out of love to be drawn to his kindness. It's because, well, he paid my debt, so now I don't owe sin, but I do owe Jesus now, so I have to follow Jesus. That would be if he just said, we have redemption in him. But he went a step further and he said, and forgiveness. See, forgiveness is when you cancel the rest of the debt. Redemption is I traded it so you don't owe them anymore, but you owe me. You're free from that debt, but now there's a debt that's owed to me, and now I turn around and I forgive you that debt. So we not only have redemption in Jesus Christ, set free from that domain of darkness, set free from sin and brought into his kingdom, but he said, and then the debt that you owed me, I cancel that debt too. I forgive you. I don't just redeem you and make you my debtor, I forgive your entire debt because I want you and I to have a relationship not out of obligation that you owe me because I didn't do this in order for you to be bound to me because you owe me. I did this because I want you to come to me because I love you. In fact, the only enslavement that can occur going forward is enslavement of our own doing. Romans chapter 6, verse 15 through 18 says this. What then? Should we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Absolutely not. Don't you know, catch this, that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, who offered you? If you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of that one you obey either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But thank God that although you used to be slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching you were transferred to, and having been liberated from sin, 
you became enslaved to righteousness. What's he saying? He says, you used to be enslaved to sin, and it wasn't your heart that, that, that was... You weren't committed to that. You were bound by it. You had no choice. But you've been transferred out of that, and now, out of your heart, you have come and said, God, I know. I know that you're not making me become your disciple. You're not making me be your follower. But my heart says, I want to be surrendered to you. My heart says that I want to become your disciple. My heart now says, I'm going to be drawn to your kindness. Because the Word of God tells us that it's His kindness that leads us to repentance. So God, I want to surrender myself. I want to become your servant. I choose to now put myself in your service. Jesus set us free so that we could become willing disciples. Not so that we could be forced into servitude. And he ended the, the last two words there in, in this translation. We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins in him. Not in any other. Not in any other thing. But we have it in him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you give us joy. I thank you that you let us see how that joy comes about, why we have it, where we have it, and in whom 